Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. Before we get started, here's a quick note from our sponsor. Our first sponsor on the show had to be Montgomery Technologies. Their COO, Joe Gasperdoni, is easily the number one fan of the show. No offense, of course, to any of you other hardcore listeners out there, but Joe listens to every episode, sometimes more than once, and then he gives me his feedback via email, good, bad, or otherwise. Joe is a podcast host dream, and I think he's made me a much better interviewer. Joe and his team would like to remind all of you of the importance of the network layer in the smart building stack. Technology installed in buildings places a heavy burden on commercial real estate operations teams. Cybersecurity, change management, road access, data integrity across all the different siloed systems in the building presents a significant challenge. Just knowing where everything is, how it is connected, where it is connected can be too much for thinly staffed corporate IT departments. Their primary function is to oversee the corporate network, not all of these systems in the network. So learn how a converged network fills this gap by clicking the link in the show notes. It shows how a converged network solves for all of the above and is the first step to enabling a smarter building. All right, let's kick off this episode with the Nexus community announcement. Cohort five of the Nexus Foundations course launches next week. So whether you're new to the industry or just new to smart building tech, this course and the entire experience we've developed was designed to shorten your learning curve and give you a community of like-minded change makers to learn with. So check out nexuslabs.online slash foundations to enroll or sign up for the waitlist. This episode is a conversation with Charlie Buscarino, leader of the smart buildings consultancy called the Clarier Group. Charlie's team has a unique process for integrating the concept of a smarter building into the construction process, which has a long and storied history of creating dumb buildings. So how do they do it? We go deep into it on this episode of the Nexus podcast. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Charlie Buscarino. I'm the CEO of the Clarion Group. James, good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you. Where are you calling from? So I'm in my home in uh, Millington, New Jersey. So East, uh, East Coast. East Coast. Mm -hmm. Nice. Cool. So give me a little bit about your, your background. You've been doing this for a long time. Let's hear, you know, maybe go all the way back. A long, long time. I've been, <laughs> I, I started in uh, the design and construction when I was 17. Okay. So, yeah, you know, my, my father worked for a company called Cosentini Associates and, you know, weekends and evenings I would, you know, and during school breaks and whatever, I would go there. Then I went to school in Hoboken, a school called Stevens Institute of Technology. Okay. And, you know, being in New York enabled me to work through weekends and make my way through college and so on. Um, and then when I graduated, I actually started working for a company called Hazeltine Corporation, which was a military subcontractor designing microwave landing systems. Okay. So, which, Interesting. which was really, really, really cool. Um, and so I was responsible for the, the, the hardware that went in the towers, but it kind of cut my teeth on, you know, uh, fiber optics and modems and membrane switches and printed hmm. circuit boards and all the meat and potatoes of of data transport and so on um, okay. then the you know i'm old so that's when the bell company started to break up okay, okay. and so now the, the old firm i was working for was now getting into communications you know the, the bell companies weren't handling that as much anymore 
Um, and so they pulled me back in. And I, you know, I was able to do electrical design and then started on to the, uh, the, the technology and cabling infrastructure in those pieces. Okay. Um, so I was there for 18 years, um, created their IT group, AV, IT security, and so on. Um, then met some really cool people doing the Time Warner Center project. Okay. Um, and that, that was particularly interesting where um, we, were, we were doing all the technology design for that. Um, but I met what ultimately became, you know, a, a partnership of five partners. Okay. And one partner was all about experience. What's, what's the emotion that you feel when you walk into a property? Is it as excitement? Is it subdued? Is it creativity? Is it curiosity? There was another one who was, came out of the real estate world. And he taught me, if you want to have a conversation with a developer, you do it in a spreadsheet. Yeah. If, you know, if you, if you can't have that conversation in the spreadsheet, there's nothing more to talk about. <laughs> if you do, then you can kind of go on and continue the conversation. Okay. Um, there was another one who was around media and broadcast. So if you're going to create a destination property, you want to tell your story. You want to build excitement. You want to get it out there. How do you do that? And then there was another one who ran operations. Obviously, you have this destination location. You want to activate it. You got to keep it going. You got to keep it profitable, et cetera. And I was the technology guy. Okay. Um, but over that period, um, not only did I, I, I learn all these other pieces, but I, I became running operations, right? So I really had you know, immersed myself in what these, these elements were. And then the net takeaway was, and I love technology, it's not about the technology. It's never about the technology, mm -hmm. okay? It's about reducing capital costs, reducing operating costs, generating revenue, or creating the superior customer experience. So that group was the foundation of the Clarion Group, okay. which we went on, and they've moved on, and, and now it's, it's just me. Um, but that became who we are and what we do. And so we <laughs> leverage technology as a tool, but it really jump-started us into this concept of, experience. What is the experience? How do you leverage technology to create these experiences? Got it. Um, and so along those lines, um, when, and, and we had always taken the trajectory, if I'm doing your AV, your IT, your security, your network, two-way radio, et cetera, et cetera, to some extent, I almost owe you bringing those pieces together hmm. so that one and one equals three. Yeah. Okay, that, that, I, I felt that was my obligation and that was a value that I can bring that others may not be able to bring based mm -hmm. on the breadth of what I was able to deliver to a project. And then we decided to go further and said, listen, it's not because it's not about the technology, not only do, how do I bring them together, but how do I bring them together in a meaningful way? So mm -hmm. to support experience and so on. Cool, cool. And um, when, did, when did the Clarion Group start? So we were 2002. So 2002. we're celebrating our, our 20th year anniversary. So we've been, nice. we've been holding on pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so fast forward today, what types of projects and clients and buildings do you work on? So we're, I mean, look, we're very fortunate that we get to work in a multiple verticals. Okay. Um, and I would say that, you know, we really have true to what I was explaining before, two sets of offerings that are complementary. Okay. We have the traditional design services, structure cabling, AV security, et cetera. And then we have this digital ecosystem component um, and how do you kind of breathe life into a, into a property. Okay. Um, and, I, and I even on the digital ecosystem side, I, I really put it into, I almost even that I kind of divide up and I say, 
you know, when I when one thinks of smart buildings, and and James, I say, look, we're going to go into this visit the smart building, um, and I use that term generically. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're going to think it has, you know, it's 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 got fault detection, it's energy efficient, it's optimized, etc. Mm-hmm. Right? And to some extent, you know, I expect that. You know, to, good engineering should give me some of that. That's somewhat table stakes, not to the extreme, but I should have some of that. Mm-hmm. But then the next piece is, well, what does it mean for me? How's yeah. my experience going to be different? How does that enable me to be more efficient? You know, how does it help me find my friends, order food, whatever? And so that's the part where Clarion has really focused on. So there's okay. the traditional side, but then how do we how do we deal with this um, this immersion in a, in a in a smart building project? Got and it. they both feed each other. When I when I know yeah. what the smart building wants to be, the design and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to dig into that those mm-hmm. two sides a little bit with you. Uh, first, first, I'm wondering before we hit record, you were talking about having a lot of clients right now that are asking the smart building question. What is the smart building question for some of your clients right it's, now? It's, it's really interesting. So, the nature of the conversation is typically, what are other people doing? What's the technology that I should be looking at? Mm-hmm. Where do you see the market going? Um, and that was the, that you know it, because it it typically tended to be a product mentality, okay. right? What what do I need to buy in order to check the box that I have a smart building? Yeah. And when we were looking at this and we we're hearing these questions, we we really needed to change the dialogue, hmm. right? Um, and it's real. It really is about what is unique to your firm you know what is what is your the experiences that are meaningful to this particular firm that we're talking to and there are common elements that traverse multiple firms but anyone you know anyone's had clients know that each firm that we deal with has a certain persona okay a unique persona um and one could say it's their secret sauce so we started flipping that conversation to say we really need to look at the experiences and the outcomes and the capabilities that that are meaningful to your organization, and then we'll show you what the technology is because that's what we do. Um, and generally, our conversations have nothing to do with technology when we start. Yeah, we don't. I, frankly, we don't want them to be. It's really what are those outcomes that we want to focus on? Got it. Got it. And so for them, the smart building question might be um, starting there, and then that, where does it go to after that? Mm-hmm. Once they once they decide, okay, these are the outcomes I want to pursue where does it go to then well it's kind of it's interesting in that even that conversation about what are the outcomes um when we were having those when we have those conversations when we were exploring this and and maturing it um what we realized is and we we focus around use cases right and i'll define a use case as what do i want to be able to do where am i doing it and what's the technology that is facilitating that action Mm -hmm. And certainly there's an emotional tie to that. And, and more often than not, we found that, you know, I could have 50 use cases, but 10 of them are the, wow, if you can do that, hmm. that's cool, that we want, that's meaningful. Okay. Um, but what ends up happening is we also found that use cases aren't equal, right? So there's, there's that emotional connection, the desirability and so on, but it's also how many people does it touch? Does it touch just the guy in the loading dock? Or does it touch everybody who comes in? How many systems 
do I need in order to deliver that use case? Do I need two that I need to integrate or do I have six? Mm -hmm. Do I already have the technology, right? If I have it, you know, then I'm good to go. Frankly, what's the cost? Everybody always wants to know cost. Um, and then even our values, you know, wellness, ESG, other, other pieces, how do they contribute? So we ended up creating these use case scores mm -hmm. that focused on the most impactful use cases that now provide a guidance to the team to say, yeah, that's right. And we did it in a way in which we could engage all the major stakeholders in the, in the project without making them part of the project. So we had these surveys, we, ha we have these surveys that we can put out to HR and facilities and marketing and leasing and so on. So everybody feels it and, and they are being heard, okay, and contribute to, um, you know, this ranking, as well as, I would say, maybe mitigating a little bit, the senior staff that might, you know, the senior vice president who white, when he speaks in the room, everybody shuts up and that's what we yeah. end up doing, mm -hmm. which may or may not be the right answer, right? Right. So we kind of get this, you know, collaborative feedback, but back to your original question, well, what's the next step? Well, based on what we described before, if I know the use cases, I know the technology that's required to deliver them. So totally. now, not only do I have the most impactful use cases, I have the most impactful technology. So it helps guide that, that progression in a way in which I'm still not talking technology, right? So all the participants can be engaged because they are also the drivers of the outcomes. Hmm. And so now I understand the mechanism in which that happens. Um, what gets really interesting is when I know the technology now, I can now measure it against what I already have in the project. Hmm. What do and you I'll mean put by it, that? Well, I'll put it into three buckets, right? So I know all my, you know, I know all my enabling technologies that I require to deliver these use cases. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say green, I have it. It's it already my use cases. Already in the what, budget or already in the That's what I need to do. I'm good mm -hmm. to go. Yellow is I have it, but I may not have all the elements of it. So I may have security cameras, but I may not have analytics for mm -hmm. people counting, right? Okay. So I need to, the new, to do an increment on that. The last one is I don't have it. So if I have a budget in mind on what I'm willing to spend on smart buildings and I have an understanding of my most impactful technologies and so on, well, I also have a, a delta in cost mm -hmm. on my yellow and my red. So now I can, you know, I know what those numbers are. I add them up. I start to sort this around. I draw my lines. All right, this is what we're going to do. And I can now really define. But the, the, the beauty of that approach is not only do I know what I'm going to do for my day one, but I master plan day two. Totally. So those might be operational costs or phase in, you know, increases or whatever. And the interesting thing is I, I rank them based on most impactful use cases, but the same technologies that are in the most impactful may also be in the ones that weren't impactful, but they're bonus. So I can also identify those. Totally. Right. Um, the beauty of doing this in the design phase is I can give clear direction to the team. It's not a performance spec. It's not a, you know, hope for it. I know exactly what I got to deliver mm -hmm. and the team knows what they're getting. Totally. So uh, I've seen these use case lists and spreadsheets and, mm -hmm. you know, PDFs, whatever you want to like, I, sure. I've seen a lot of them in the past, right? 
it's like we start with this blue sky thinking and we, you know, ideate all these, you know, ideas. Um, we end up having hundreds of use cases. I'd love to hear more details about how you guys prioritize and assign value to each of them. Sure. Um, so it sounds like you're adding costs to them on the back end, but like, how do you, if, if you're trying to get an ROI, how do you get to where you have quantified and prioritized all these different use cases? So basically where, where we start is, you know, we certainly start with a persona and I'll just say it's, it's the tenant. Okay. Or if it's a commercial office building, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the associate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we go down the, this day in the life journey. Okay. What do I want to be able to do before I leave my house? What do I need to be able to do when I arrive? Um, when I concentrate, when I collaborate, when I refresh, and then, you know, different activities of the day. And then when I leave, right. And that, frankly, any of us who've been in a building and work for a company, we can contribute to that. Mm-hmm. Then we take this other criteria that I was describing before to elevate those and separate them into, you know, um, again, what I described as the most impactful. Mm-hmm. What we have found, and, and this is where it gets, it does get squishy, right? So you can almost apply the, the JLL 33300 rule, but this really goes into the, the human element the, the reducing friction, the improvement of, of, of you know, engagement and functionality and so on. And it's, it's a little soft, okay? But there are elements about there that are, um, have their own value for argument's sake. Like, you know, what is my visitor management process and, and how do I make that? Or what's the, you know, can I let my associates know so they're not waiting around by their desk because I can ping them and say their visitors arrived? Or mm-hmm. how do I find my peers or hot desking? You know, I don't know that I can put a hard number on that, but when you look at, well, what would I do if I didn't have that? They become self-evident. Mm-hmm. If that helps me pick the technologies the critical technologies that are necessary for those core capabilities, okay? And again, many of them I already have in the project. I have my security system. I have my visitor management. So even that's not a heavy lift. Then when we start doing our pricing and what our budget is willing to be, really it's a value pricing to say, which one of these things are going to improve my organization Mm -hmm. as opposed to what's my ROI? And you can run it all the way up to zero. Look, I don't feel value or anything, but usually it's somewhere in between with the ability to evaluate it as you go and improve on it and then expand as you choose. Hmm. Okay. okay. So it's, 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 yeah, it's not so much about a hard number per se. I mean, I, I think there's studies that you can see that, you know, better engagements will give, you know, um, better outcomes, but it goes back to the, the identity of the company. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I certainly on the operational side of what we do, that's, that's more tangible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but on the experience side, it's softer. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you have these prioritized use cases. How do you get from there to design packages for all the different people that are working on the project? So the nice thing about having the use cases and the outcomes and the technology, I know exactly what I need to deliver. Right. And so, and, and there are projects in which this is, has paid dividends. Right. So now because I know all the technologies and let's say it's the BMS and the lighting control and metering systems or whatever, I literally take the use cases and I embed them in that section of the spec, right? As in, in addition to the division 25, which is the glue that would bring it together. Mm-hmm. So these are your outcomes and these are the people you have to integrate with. 
and these and this is the manner in which I want um, shared information. If I want, you know, if we're talking about power, I want it in watts. I don't want it in volt amps. I don't want KVA. I don't want it in KW. That's what I want. Um, so that even that normalization gives me an opportunity that I'm doing in the spec. Nine times out of ten, when you know these systems are being procured, the stuff I'm asking for is, uh, sure, sure, yeah, well, because it's the greater buy that they're interested in, right? You know, mm -hmm. I want to sell you the POE lighting, or I want to sell you the the switchgear, or I want to sell you these other pieces. You want that, and that gives me the contract. I'm good. You know, I want the you know the open APIs. Yeah, 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 whatever. The moment I sign that contract, okay, that's a different mm -hmm. story, and the expectation that if you do it as a performance spec, that all the teams are going to come together, okay, and just do it on their own because they're all going to play nice. It doesn't happen. It doesn't they're, happen. They're, mo they're, they're motivated to close out the job as quickly as they can. Yeah. And unless it's actually in the job, you know, articulated clearly, that becomes a problem. Okay, so how do you get from, so remember you said what the three things that a use case is earlier? You said, I'm doing this in this sure. particular place with this tool or something like that? With this technology, right. So what do yeah. I want to do? Where do I want to do it? And what am I using in order to do that? Yeah, so how do you get from there into what you put in the spec? Because I'd imagine that, that mm -hmm. those three things is not enough to pin down a contractor when they're trying to finish their checklist. Right. So we've we've been doing this enough that, when we bring the use cases and we bring them to the client, the, the interesting thing is most of our clients don't know what they want. They can tell you, they can't articulate what is meaningful to them, but they can tell you what is meaningful if you give it to them. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a must have, that's a like to have, someday maybe, or that doesn't apply. Yeah. So we bring hundreds of use cases, right? Mm -hmm. And because we're bringing the use cases, we have embedded in them. These are the technologies required to deliver those use cases. Mm -hmm. So now if I know that I have to do a reservation system or a food ordering system, I look at every use case that has food ordering tied to it or reservations. Mm -hmm. Those are the use cases that get embedded into the spec. So you need to support, your system needs to support and deliver this information for these outcomes. Okay. okay? Working with these other technologies. Got it. Got it. So, so it might say something along the lines of, like you said, you need to pass this or, or make available the wattage information, like right. you said earlier. And you'll be measured so, on this outcome, okay. right? To, to make sure that's when you're, that's when you check the box and you say you're good. Got it. Got it. Okay. Let's go back to division 25. I don't know how much on this podcast, we're a hundred plus episodes in, we've actually dove into, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've <laughs> dove into division 25 very often or very much at all. So can you just talk about what Division 25 is to begin with? What, what is that? So, so Division 25 is the integration section of the CSI specifications, right? And it really is intended to um, extend across all the divisions to identify the kind of the rules of engagement, all right? And so this is the part that, that we're leveraging to kind of set those ground rules. Okay. Um, you know, what are the, what's the, and it follows the same CSI methodology of, um, you know, what's the product? Um, what is the, you know, the execution? What are the outcomes? How do they get measured? Those types of things, the, the data sharing and so on. You know, there are, there are certain levels that you can go to in division 25 because you're, you're putting it out to bid, right? So I don't mm -hmm. have a hard, hard spec. 
I have hard outcomes, okay, per se on what I what I want, okay, and I have the the expected partners that need to work together in order to do that, okay, and I have a clear understanding of what I want submitted, all right, and how they're going to be measured. Um, but to some extent, I have to leave some latitude mm -hmm. because you know, again, it's, you don't know exactly who you're going to bring to the table uh, specifically where you can engine. Otherwise, you'd be as you're just specifying it out of the gate. Yeah. So you're taking your use cases and you're, you're inserting them into each individual trades specification. Mm -hmm. What do you then insert into the Division 25 from all of your use cases? It basically creates the ground rules in which that, that trade needs to now interoperate and, and the methodology in which they coordinate and integrate um, with the other trades. Now, the expectation on projects like this is that there is an MSI, okay? And so the, the integration piece and the Division 25 typically is focused on him. Mm -hmm. But what it does is, rather than if the trades went out by themselves, it creates an obligation of the trade to, to play ball, okay? To mm -hmm. play nice with him, to make it happen. It gives it some teeth. Um, the other thing that that helps in having all this and, and particularly the use cases is it helps the GCs. One of the, one of the things that we found is there's no, it doesn't make sense to try to teach the traditional trades to how to do something new. Okay. It's just, it's just too much. It's too much That's of a fair. heavy lift, right? Yeah, it's fair. It's just too much. So what we, what we look to do is, Trans, we have the ability to translate, to have them do what they do, okay, and execute what they're really good at, okay, and then create expectations on how they have to share what they're doing with others, mm. okay, and that's really where the MSI comes in. Um, but what he often doesn't have is because the, you know, the the traditional building systems have already gone out. He comes in late. It's a performance spec. He's trying to corral cats. And you kind of get half a loaf by moving it up front, okay, and getting everybody obligated to deliver these outcomes. Um, you're really setting up the the MSI for success, and you're 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 setting up in a way in which the GC he's able to track: did it get done? Didn't get done? Whose responsibility is it? What's the manner in which that happens? And create more of a framework in which all the trades can operate in mm -hmm. the way in which they're accustomed to. Got it. So basically what I'm hearing from you is you're just taking, you're kind of leaving the traditional construction process in place. If we assume that traditional construction process even has a division 25. To begin right, with. right, 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 right. Um, but you're, you're basically inserting smart into all of these different ways in which people are already planning on doing things. It's is a little right? covert, but you know, yeah. <laughs> and even not necessarily tell everybody that, that that's, that that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love all that. right. Um, and with that, you know, and again, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to oversimplify it. Mm -hmm. It's still work. It's just still a lot of effort, you know, um, the granularity that you need to get to, but what we found is that's the path of least resistance. Okay. Um, in an effort to, to help people do what they do well without, um, disrupting them without getting price inflation. You know, where people say, oh, it's a smart building. I got to get 25%, you know, those types of things. No, just look, here's what we need you to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
How about for, so you mentioned your, your term enabling technologies. I like to think about that a lot uh, as like the device layer or the, you know, the, the, the silos that are, are have always been in our buildings, essentially. Right. Right. Um, how do you think about making sure that that, you know, leaving it open to the GC to select whatever contractor they want to select to implement that piece, right? How do you think about putting the requirements for those systems and products that they're going to end up selecting? How yeah, I would say piece? we try not to leave them open to their own devices. You know, we want to have some, well, because what happens is either items get VE'd, Mm-hmm. You know, and because again, we, we kind of tucked it in there, but they need to withstand and there's certain items that need to, you know, see the light of day. Um, so I wouldn't say that is, it's, you know, kind of a blank, um, but it is the criteria, the ability to meet the use cases is part of the foundational criteria of selecting a vendor. Mm-hmm. And often it will come down to, hey, they can do eight of 10 but they're also the most, you know, they're, or, and then the most expensive or, you know, so pricing and feature set and so on, hmm. it becomes part of that blend of decision-making Got it. saying how important are these things. But the nice thing is it's in the discussion as opposed to they selected it based on a generic feature set and, um, and pricing and you miss out. And with the other interesting thing is if it's done right, I'm not overbuying. Hmm. I know what I need. So I'm, I'm not, you know, in the absence of that, I'm, I'm buying the most flexible, the most feature rich, the most, you know, um, you know uh, points that I can buy on it. I mean, I need them. Yeah. All right. So I'm really zeroing in, you know, what's, what's right for this project. Got it. And where do the, the technologies that are sort of not those traditional device layer technologies come in? So I mean, I'm thinking about things like a tenant mobile application or um, you you mentioned FDD earlier. That's not typically somebody's responsibility to provide that. All of those application layer things that enable our use cases, right? Mm -hmm. Where do those come into the process? Um, How do you sort of insert those into the traditional traditional world? Yeah. So in the models in which we've been doing, okay, or the project we've been doing, when there's a, when there's a critical mass of integration that you're gonna look to do, mm-hmm. um, and it could be physical on-prem as well as the virtual ones that we're, that we're talking about. Um, if we think about uh, the converged network as being the, the integration of you know, the, the physical endpoint devices, we really look to an IoT platform, okay? Uh, the likes of, you know, there's, there's folks out there um, to be that application level integration. Okay. But the idea that, and, and that's really the, the, the foundation in which we're looking to, I don't want to say future proof, but it creates that flexible um, mechanism mm. for a single integration, um, sharing data, uh, creating, you know, uh, measuring KPIs, creating dashboards. And then when you look at a mobile app, the mobile app is also yet another application that gets plugged into that platform. Got it. Or extracting data and so on. And uh-huh. there are there are exceptions and so on, but for the you know, fundamentally that's the um the 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 core of, mm-hmm. of the overall integration. Okay. And so we've been we've been pushing those types of solutions in the um in the, the designs that we've been doing. Yeah. So it's a it's a horizontal architecture as I've been writing about. So you're you're saying it's traditional device layer, network layer on top, IoT platform. Yep. That's responsible for basically centralizing data, storing yeah. some sort of 
ontology or semantic mm -hmm. model, and then sort of enabling applications to sit on top. So back to our previous question, the division 25, mm -hmm. the division 25 really becomes about that IOT platform, Got it. Uh, the MSI, the application capabilities, and now creates responsibility, not only for the, for the, the standing up of the application and the integration, but mm -hmm. also to the other trades that are going to tie into it. Okay. And so now that spec can be a virtual requirement or a traditional building system requirement. Got it. Got it. And so then the MSI is responsible for then procuring the IoT platform, or how does that, and I guess the applications as well. Who, who so it, buys? It varies, right? It, it varies. varies. So um, there are certain ones that it would make sense for him to just do them turnkey. Mm -hmm. um, but there are ones where if you're talking about a reservation system or, or, or a mail system or the food services, you know, the owner has, you know, a significant state, you wouldn't have your MSI procure those. Yeah. But what we'll do is, and what we've done, uh, which has been successful, is in the construction process, if I have my traditional SDDD, CD, and so on, mm -hmm. I will accelerate what I'll call my digital ecosystem process okay. so that I'm complete with design, ideally around 50% CDs. Okay. Okay. And if I can, actually procure and bring on the MSI so that, so not only are my use cases embedded in the, in the trades, okay, the traditional trades, okay, because we haven't issued CDs yet, yeah. right? But now when it comes time to do the bid and evaluation, the MSI is at the table as well. Mm -hmm. And he can speak to his experience with this vendor or this application and so on. Um, and so we can get a sense of complexity as opposed to potentially burdening him with, with, with a solution that was selected, which doesn't work so well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or it would create some, some grief. Got it. Got so, it. You know, again, cool. it's, it's, it's around uh, setting the table for his success, which ultimately is the project success. Mm -hmm. Got it. So on that IoT platform, what are the things that I, I guess I've been writing a lot about this concept of the independent data layer. So mm -hmm. it's like, there's a lot of overlap between IOT platform, independent data layer, building operating system, like all these different terms, really they're there for that middle data layer, right? Right In this horizontal architecture. Mm -hmm. In your mind, you've seen these, these platforms being procured a lot recently mm -hmm. on these projects. What are you seeing in, the, in that world of the smart building marketplace and kind of what makes that layer successful? It's, I would say the market's not mature. Okay, yeah. But, you know, I don't think I'm telling anybody that, anything no. new, okay? Yeah. And so it's, we are typically stretching the folks that we engage to do that mm -hmm. work, okay? Um, the fundamental foundational pieces are there, right? I mean, and we've seen them being used, you know, and, and you know, the traditional players in, you know, like a quadrille building or, or other or other buildings where they're pulling those pieces together and they tend to be around the traditional building systems, mm -hmm. okay? The elements are the same, okay? But now we're, we're raising the bar a little bit to bring in some of these virtual systems, okay, okay which weren't traditionally integrated. Um, to create a different level of KPIs, to create a different level of, of user engagement on a mobile app and immersion. Um, and so, you know, we, we stretch them and we look to see how much they think they can handle and what the trajectory is to get there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have to have, you know, if you're partnering with them, you have to have a realistic conversation on how far can we go? Does it phase? What are MVP? Mm-hmm. Those types of things. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But fundamentally, if you look at a long term, whether you're dealing with trying to embrace an enterprise that has new and existing buildings, okay, or whether or not you're, you know, you're looking to scale what you have to the properties you have, the architecture makes sense, right? Because even in an existing building, I don't necessarily care what my security system is, so long as it shares the data. If it's existing and it can share the data, I'm good. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to go across my entire enterprise and change out that vendor. Yeah. That Got type it. of thing. So that's Got the it. mindset behind it. So how do you think about in that layer, given that it's not very mature, right? How do you think about it as the you know the software product and it's maturing and then the MSI and they're sort of not mature. Like there's yeah. not a whole lot of them that are just very mature and they're, you know, you know, I've been doing this MSI work for a decade. There's not a lot of people that can say that at this no. point, right? So you have these two things that are that are sometimes separate, but sometimes they come together as one, right? right. How, do, how do you, like, how are you advising your clients right now to maybe procure the services that are either integrated, like um, you're mm-hmm. buying them together as a turnkey thing, or right. are you advising them to procure an agnostic MSI that will procure any IoT platform and can work on any IoT platform. You see where I'm going with that? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they have to we, be. So we've sent out, the way we've done it is we've sent out the RFP to the MSI, mm-hmm. okay? okay? And he knows the task and let him select, you know, and again, we'll, we'd, be, we'd be party of that, but let him focus on who he wants to partner with. I mean, we'll mm-hmm. buy both in the RFP process, mm-hmm. let him team and decide yeah. the one that's going to that's gonna bring the most success to the project. Because okay, I don't it. really think you can decouple them hmm. at okay? this point. They're, they're, they're so, they need to be a match set where the MSI is leveraging a platform that he's familiar with mm-hmm. and a partner that he can work with to, to realize the outcomes that we're looking for. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the way we've chosen to do it as opposed to we make the marriage and they say, look, you know, we were never meant to be together. Yeah, yeah. That's not a good formula. That's interesting. I'm working on this. We had one of our members present on the three types of MSIs, and he was talking about how he prefers an agnostic MSI. So it sounds like he has found them wherever they are at some some point. But he was saying that if I I buy them both together, um, number one, I have a hard time firing one or the other, right? Um, Right. But he was also saying... um, you have these software providers that are only doing MSI work so they can get their software application installed and procured and that kind of thing. Right. I just think it's an interesting point where we're at in the, in the industry to have, to be viewing those things as, as one thing, even though right now, like there is a service being provided and then there's software. Oh, being they're procured. definitely, they're definitely separate. Okay. Right. Right. The question is, am I better suited? to couple them together, at least the perspective we've taken, you know, Mm -hmm. am I better suited to couple the, the, those who would work together better than if I bid them separately and kind of impose one or the other. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. It's it's just an interesting project by project thing at this point, it seems like to me. Fascinating. Let's pause here for one more quick word from our sponsor and then we'll get back to the show. 
And now a quick note from our sponsor, Invarid Systems. We've discussed this a few times on this show in the past. Improving indoor air quality with optimized ventilation and air cleaning doesn't need to conflict with building decarbonization and climate resiliency goals. To show you why that's true, Invarid Systems and a group of other IAQ and energy experts put together a new white paper called How to Achieve Sustainable Indoor Air Quality. Check the link in the show notes to learn how a four-step clean-first approach can be used to design and operate low-energy but high-IAQ climate-resilient buildings of the future. Also, unrelated to the sponsorship, Invarid CEO Christian Weeks and other guests from the white paper will be on the show this month too, so check that out for a deeper dive into the insights of the paper. I feel like there's more that you can share around the Division 25 piece. Um, so Division 25, from my experience, has always been kind of, you know, this is a long time ago, I, I, when I was actually working on construction projects, right, a long time ago. The Division 25 was like either totally ignored as an option mm. or when it was done, it was like written by the controls, like the mechanical engineer um, wrote the controls designs. And so they wrote the Division 25 as well. And it was right. kind of this BMS centric thing that most of the time it got awarded to the controls contractor anyway. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about like what the new world of Division 25 is besides the MSI's role? How are like in today's projects, how are they integrating with all the other all the other trades? I feel like there's more to unpack there. Well, your 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 history of how it works is the same experience that I've had, right? So okay. the, the it, it became the control spec. And I would say that there was a mindset that even until recently, the BMS was the building operating system. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that mindset would reinforce why the controls would be part of Division mm -hmm. 25, because that is the building up. And there's projects that we've seen go on the market today where the perspective is the control system in the, the BMS is the building operating system. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that's still in the process of transforming. And, and we are often in, a, in an awkward place sometimes, depending on the timing of the project and when we get in, mm -hmm. that that's already been claimed. You know, Division 25 has been claimed as a control spec and it's gone out, right? So in which case we write, you know, and we'll embed it into some other section of a spec or whatever. But it, in the going forward idea where the BMS is an app, potentially even an application, okay, mm -hmm. on the IoT platform yeah. that gets integrated. And if you flip that conversation to say, I'm not going to take my lighting and put it into my BMS, I'm getting, you know, those other disparate systems that would traditionally connect into a BMS mm -hmm. go into the platform, the right. platform becomes the building operating system. Then I think, you know, that was the original intent of division 25. Yeah. Okay. To be that ubiquitous integration um, placeholder that describes to everybody, here's how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, each project has its own trajectory. Okay, each engineer has their own templates and so on. So it's still a little squishy, but we're, you know, from our perspective, if we can go there and claim that and set that as the foundation, then you'd have a control section spec that would have its use cases embedded in it mm -hmm. and it would refer back to Division 25. Got it. Got it. Fascinating. Where does um, commissioning come in? And if, if I take this back to my experience again, Commissioning has traditionally been all about the BMS, all about mostly about HVAC. 
um, a little bit about passing data from here to there, but mostly not, mostly around just, hey, let's commission this HVAC system to make sure it's as designed, right? right. But now we have all these buildings that have, you know, every trade has a very sophisticated control system. And then there's this IoT platform sitting on top. So what's the commissioning agent's role if there's a separate one? Um, and does the MSI do some of that work? How do you how do you think about commission? So if you go back to that philosophy of we don't want to change the momentum of the trades. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the way this model lays itself out is every system still stands alone or has the ability to stand alone and be fully functional. Mm -hmm. So we would expect, because and it's a layered approach, right? So the security system, the visitor management, the BMS, resume, they all have to pass their own traditional commissioning, you know, be blessed and we're good to go. Yeah, okay. Then we have an IoT integration commissioning, okay? What is the data, is the data being transmitted? You know, is it being received? Is it consistent? You know, our ability to store it, is it formatted right? Is it matching the ontology, et cetera? Okay. Um, and then lastly, because a lot of this is around the user interface, you know, there is a mobile app, probably discussion more so than you would have with say reservation system or something like that, right? Because there's, there's a, you know, a human factor associated with that. Mm -hmm. And so I think there ends up being more, um, navel gazing around that experience because we're really about managing the experience which can have a ripple effect back down the chain you know Got do it. we have the right data how are we sharing it you know what's the timing of it that type of thing so we tip uh, we've been looking at least in our experience we've been looking at it in, in three layers hmm. I, I think cool. what we found the most interesting is <clears throat> the idea of there's five work streams for example right that aren't necessarily intuitive until you break them down on the upfront, right? So I have my straight up construction. When, yeah. when I'm, when's my floor is gonna be ready, when my closet's gonna be ready, when I'm gonna have power, et cetera, et cetera, right? Then end, when am I gonna have my network, right? So I need, I need the network in order to do the integration and so on and, and so forth. Then do I have my IoT platform, right? Because that's another level of integration. Then my vendors. All my various vendors that are tied in, where do they stand and how are they tied in? And then that mobile app. Mm -hmm. And so when you lay those out, when you start looking at the interdependencies between these, yeah, yeah. And even the even the 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 work style changes, right? So when I'm talking to the mobile app guys or the IoT guys, they're like, well, look, we are, you know, we're an agile house and this is how we operate. Okay. But when I look at an adjacent work stream, it's waterfall. <laughs> Right. So right. you can be agile all day so long as you complete it within these brackets. Because <laughs> at the conclusion of that, I need you to spill over into the next tranche of work. Yeah. So yeah. those have been lessons learned on, you know, how do you bring these groups together in a way in which you can now project the dependencies all the way through to the end. Hmm. Okay. And then are are you guys as the consultant taking responsibility for that piece? So we are, you know, uh, we're not the MSI, but we end up, you know, we, you know, we get really more close than I'm comfortable with okay, <laughs> and having to yeah. orchestrate how this is going to succeed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and our scars are showing us where there are bumps so we can really put pressure where we need them to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so we can have, uh, you know, the outcomes that we're looking for. Yeah. Cause I could see it'd be difficult 
you know, the MSI and the smart building, the consultant, there could be a lot of overlap there. There could be drop-offs in between the two. Yeah. Well, it ideally, like there could be landmines you know, there. There could. And I think we have the challenging role of being an advocate for the owner and the MSI. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, there's a tendency, you know, you know, to look at the shiny things, right? To look at the, the mobile app and when will that be ready and when can we play with it and so on. But that doesn't function until the IoT platform stood up. Mm-hmm. So let's not lose focus. Let's put all our energy in the IoT platform. Let's get that up and running and stood up and share our data and know we got the foundation. We'll do development and, and GUIs and so on on the mobile app. But let's not let's not you know, lose sight of the sequence in which things need to happen. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think I've, I've exhausted you with these questions. Thank you for going deep into this process. Yeah. I hope that hope people enjoy. Yeah, hey, wake up! Yeah, wake up. <laughs> hope people enjoy the 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 complexity of what is a construction project and integrating technology into that. It's tough. It's really tough. I think I think the fundamental is, and then when we when we start down this journey, we go to events where you heard stories of smart buildings and smart campuses and so on, and it was enterprise customers who had you know, uh, large teams, large budgets, okay? And they were able to, you know, pull this to, or, or go down a journey of pulling these things together. Mm-hmm. And our perspective was that it shouldn't be for just the uh, super large enterprise customers. You know, there's enough critical mass and systems we're buying anyway, mm-hmm. that at whatever level is comfortable, you should be able to benefit from integration capabilities without having to be dependent on a particular vendor or solution that you're now beholden to. Yeah. Um, and so we looked at it as our role to find a methodology, which we, we call expert, you know, find a methodology in which that could be done with confidence in a way that could be articulated to the stakeholders, not, just, not necessarily just the construction or tech savvy customers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of the, the mission that we set out to to do love it yeah love it do you have any stories of particular projects or case studies you can share that would be kind of pull this all together into a cohesive fun story to end off with so what we have found okay and it's we talk about the technology we love the technology um the hardest part is is communicating it to the people Right. So there was a project that we were brought in on and it's and it's the it's the dialogue and the narrative. And so we were brought in a a very high profile project and we're the second guys to be brought in. Right. The the first guys, you know, didn't make it. They they said, who do you know? We're brought in and they like us. okay? and we're 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 working on the project. But we're not clicking. We're not not clicking. I mean, we're not using the same language. Mm. You know, this 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 company is very type A, right? Where do we stand? What are we doing? Can we move this faster? How come it's taking so long? You know, and we're in the early days of our journeys. And so we're trying to make sure we got them right, make sure we got them complete and are we thorough and, and it's just not. And so the, the folks who brought me in, they said, listen, you know, we, we understand, you know, look, we love you. If you were to walk away now, no one would, would fault you for it. And I'm like, what? That's, that's not even my, 
But the, I said, no, I said, this client, this client is every client I will ever meet. It is, it is their post. And what it's really about is, and what I learned is it's about their fear. Mm. They're going down a road, okay, where you can't look at 50 of them, okay? You know, they, have, they, want to, they don't want to make a leap of faith. They want to know that when they get to the end, okay, that there's a mechanism that they can follow and track and it's meaningful and they can see that and manage their own destiny and know if it's going off the rails. What we realized is it's that engagement that was as important as the technology and what we're going to bring them on the back end to manage and instill confidence that we have a method that, and so we spent a lot of time. Now, they're a great customer. We've, we've done tremendous work with them. We've been with them for a long time and we got past that, but it was the understanding of they're not being difficult. I need to understand and communicate their anxieties, get ahead of it, and now help them understand the journey we're going to take and how we're going to get there so that they can, they can do it with, with confidence. And is it, is it the, just the fact that you guys have a process and it has produced outcomes in the past that needs to be communicated to them to alleviate these anxieties? Or, I, think or it starts, is- I think it starts there. Okay. Right. The fact that, okay, you've, we're not your first when you're not cutting your teeth on us. You're not. Hmm. But I also think that everyone comes to the conversation with their own agenda, not, not in a bad way. They yeah. have things that they need to get out of this. Right. So it's also being nimble enough to understand what leasing's concerns are, what marketing's concerns hmm. are, what HR, what facilities, what operations and so on. And frankly, they're the experts. We have a lot of knowledge on how to assemble these things together and put them together. But when it comes to the outcomes that are going to be meaningful for their organization, mm-hmm. they're the experts, right? So it's creating a forum in which they can positively contribute, okay? So that we make sure that their knowledge gets embedded into the solution mm-hmm. and doesn't get lost. So, you know, we're, we're a facilitator. We're not, you know, they're, they're creating their own smart building we're helping them get there, hmm. okay? And once we do in the beginning, they can track it all the way through. The nice thing about it is that process creates stickiness because hmm. when they know that they've been heard and they know it's embedded in the project, and many smart buildings fail al- along the journey, right? But when they know that what they need in order to be successful is in the process, they're advocates for it to make hmm. sure it stays there. And so that's where you get the stickiness to say, no, you can't VE that. Okay, no, no, we need that. That's important. And, and so versus, what was that for again? Why do we have that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it pays dividends. But that's, that's, our, that's our value add is to help them build their smart building with confidence. Yeah, totally. Love it. Well, thanks, Charlie. I, I feel like I've learned a lot here. Let's end with some carve-outs. Um, what book, TV show, movie, podcast... Etc. 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 Would you recommend that the audience checks out? Look, I'm really corny. I'm. I'm. I was always from a kid. I was a fan of Star Trek. Okay. All okay. Right. And so That's the first. Yeah. So uh, when I look at, I'm always I'm always fascinated by the art of the possible, right? And you start looking at things on TV that just make perfect sense. That today, 
you know, you, you know, why can't we do that? <laughs> and so those, those things that should just be natural and seamless where you, you move through your life in a way in which the technology does what you need it to do, okay, is, I would say, more of an inspiration, okay, as to how do I, how do I help, help advance this journey mm-hmm. in a way that the journey itself doesn't cause friction, ideally, and then the outcomes, I mean, it's going to cause some, but then the outcomes, you know, um, reduce friction. Got it. And is that, is that, I'm not a big Star Trek person. Is that relevant? Is Star Trek relevant to that message somehow? How does that work? Well, I just look at the environment and the ecosystem that exists in, in, you know, that world. Okay. okay? Yeah. Um, where they lean on the technology to do incredible things, right? And yeah. It's there There's and it's just a lot of and technology. It happens and, and, and so on, but it supplements their lifestyle. You don't see them say, oh, I got to reboot. You know, that, that, right. you know, I mean, right. there, there's crisis and so on. But if you look at that ecosystem, yeah, um, it serves the occupant. Love it. Love it. And so that's what I that's the filter that I look at that show through. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like a filter you're looking through at, at buildings, too. Absolutely. Through. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to chat. All right. Thank you. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.